Welcome to the Invest Like a Boss podcast. I'm Sam Marks. And I'm Johnny FD. We're self-made entrepreneurs who invest our own money and use modern technology to invest like a boss. Join us each week for exclusive interviews with our network of modern investors, business owners, and multimillionaires to discover new ways to invest our hard-earned cash. Hey guys, and welcome to episode 38 of the Invest Like a Boss podcast. I'm Johnny FD, and here with Sam Marks. Hey guys, hey Johnny, how you doing? Yeah, fantastic. I'm really excited to have our first guest on this on the podcast about cryptocurrencies, Chris Dunn. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a long time coming and on that recent survey that we put out at Boss Lounge, a lot of people want to hear more about Bitcoin, cryptocurrencies and how to play them. So, perfect timing and maybe nobody better than Chris Dunn to talk about it. Yeah, definitely. Because, I mean, personally, you know, I I, have, I don't have any experience with the cryptocurrencies. I don't know if that's going to be one of my, you know, uh, forms of investing. Uh, it probably definitely won't be the main form, form of investing. But I think it's one of those things where the whole point of this podcast is to explore different uh, modern uh, types of, of investment vehicles. And this is definitely one that could be huge. So for us not to have cryptocurrency guests on, just because that's not something that we personally like to invest in right now, uh, would be a disservice to the listeners. So this is why we want to be, you know, kind of on the forefront of, of everything that's possible. And this is, you know, this is something that could be huge. Yeah. And this is one of those really complicated topics that listeners will surely have a wide range of knowledge about. So we'll try to cover a lot of different angles and, you know, really just from the basics of what a cryptocurrency is, what Bitcoin is, how it's built, how long it's been around and all the way up through, you know, how to profit. And this is something that I had a really bad experience with going a few years back. I lost a lot of money in it, but it's still very high of a very high interest to me. I still own Bitcoin. I still believe in the concept. So I'm really looking forward to having Chris on to, to get his perspective on on the future and, and what we should know about it. Yeah. And if you guys have a zero interest in buying Bitcoins or investing in Bitcoins itself, uh, don't worry. This podcast is going to cover so many other ways where you you can kind of ride the trend and still make money with your existing businesses or different type of investment vehicles. You know, kind of riding the trend of cryptocurrencies because I actually do believe that cryptocurrencies are going to be a big thing in the future. I don't know if it's going to be Bitcoins. I don't know how much it's going to fluctuate, but I would almost guarantee in the next five or 10 years, this some type of cryptocurrency is going to be very mainstream. So for us to put our heads in the sand and ignore it is going to be, you know, it's going to be ridiculous. So we have to at least educate ourselves. Uh, so that's why I'm so excited to have a an expert on to talk about it. Yeah. So with that, guys, let's take it into episode 38 with Chris Dunn. Hey, everybody. Welcome back, Chris. Welcome to the show, my man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, buddy. So we're super pumped to do this episode. It's actually the first one that we've ever done on the topic of cryptocurrencies. And a lot of our listeners have been requesting an episode on this. So here we are. And I know your company is much broader than just being an expert in cryptocurrencies. So you give us a little bit of background on your company, Skill Incubator. Yeah. So I guess my philosophy in life and where I see the economy going is we're shifting from what I kind of consider the resume based economy where, you know, college degrees and puffed up resumes kind of reign supreme to more of a skill based economy where it's like, show me what you've recently done. Show me what you can accomplish and show me the tangible, applicable skill sets that you have. And so my vision and mission with Skill Incubator was just to partner with people that had really specialized knowledge and 
were experts in their field. And so we, we basically just launched within a year and the, the first products that we got up there were cryptocurrencies and we've got um, some real estate investors. I've got one of the, uh, the top hedge fund managers in the nation coming on board. And so, yeah, it's, it's just a, it's a really cool mission. And um, kind of the back end of that is our nonprofit, uh, which is the nation's first K through 12 entrepreneur pathway um, that we're testing and rolling out here in Austin, Texas. And, looking to uh, take that nationwide as well. Very cool, man. I like that. That was very well said on, on their vis- vision and philosophy of, of how the economy is changing. And how about you, Chris? Where are you living in, and what's your lifestyle? I know you like to travel and that's, that's one kick-ass photo on your website. Was that uh, Cape Town? Yeah. Yeah, All man. Right. That's Lion's Head on, uh, in Cape Town. Nice. Nice. <laughs> yeah. So we, our home base is here in Austin, Texas. And um, for the past... God, eight, eight or nine years now we've, we've kind of been traveling and, um, 2014, we took a full year and documented our, we called it epic, epic journey around the world and went to uh, over 60 something cities and started in Iceland where I actually used to live in middle school and then literally went around the world. And, um, yeah, it's, it's just great to be able to, to experience different cultures and, you know, have fun and, and work online and, uh, just take advantage of, you know, the kind of the era that we're living in, right? Like we have so many tools and resources that just make it kind of easy for somebody to sit down. As long as you have an internet connection, you can create income for yourself. Touche. Almost too many options in a lot of cases, right? (laughs) Yeah. It kind of makes it unsettling. So I got to back up to the Iceland bit. So how did you end up in Iceland for high school? That's, that's wild. What a cool experience. Yeah. So I was actually a military brat. Um, so I lived all over the place, Korea, Iceland. I was born in New Mexico and, you know, so I, I guess that's where my appreciation for travel and, and world culture came from. Um, and so the first chance that, uh, that I got, you know, just kind of started traveling and, um, now we're spending more of our time here in Austin. Um, I'm just involved in so many projects that mm-hmm. it's, it's, getting harder and harder to get away, but I've kind of set that up by design. So I'm yeah. not complaining. <laughs> and do you, do you like Austin as a, as a base? It's got a, a, a very good and emerging tech scene and startup scene there as well. I love Austin, man. It's, it's one of my favorite places on the planet. You know, like I, I sat down and asked myself, like if I could live anywhere, where's the most livable city? And, uh, Austin just, you know, it has so much going for it. That is a huge statement considering how much, you know, how much traveling you've done. So that, uh, yeah. that goes a lot to give it, give it some credibility and credit. I need to spend more time there. I'm, uh, I'm heading over to California for the next three months. going to give that a shot. But you know, as you know, if you're from Florida, you live in Texas, the going to California is just, it doesn't seem right to be paying sales, income sales <laughs> or income tax. Um, when you, when you grew up not doing it. So we'll see how yeah. that goes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure you'll have fun, but, uh, yeah, on your way back, man, stop through Austin for sure. Sounds good. So I know you do a lot of video podcasting and are you able to continue doing that while you're traveling or is that something that you, you try to stay kind of in one spot to, to be able to handle? Um, I can do it on the road. It's, it's obviously easier, um, from our, our new studio. I just kind of have everything set up and ready to go. And, um, but yeah, I mean, any chance I get to, to put together some powerful information, I like to do it probably like you, right? Like, I'm sure you do a lot of this on the road. Yeah. There's a, a lot of challenges. I just got back from Mexico and, and immediately when I got down there, my, both of my mics ended up breaking somehow in transit. I have no idea what happened. Oh man. Audio Technica. AT, ATR two, 
2005s. Both of them got jarred. Uh, and so I had to run around. There's just not that many electronic stores and it's hard to get things shipped into, into Mexico in a lot of ways. So yeah, uh, but yeah. We, we made it work, but sounding a lot more crisp and clear now for sure. Nice. So guys, everyone listening, we're going to do most of this episode on cryptocurrencies and Bitcoins. And I'm not at all proficient or an expert, but Chris is. So this is going to go a lot more in a Q&A style versus conversational form. But I'll try to I'll try to pitch in. I have some interesting experiences with Bitcoin. They're not uh, they're not <laughs> they're not great, but um, <laughs> but it would be awesome to get your perspective and, and your expertise. So kind of to kick it off, I know all the listeners will have a wide range of knowledge from cryptocurrencies. Some might, you know, might might know this stuff very well in depth, and a lot of people have probably never heard of it except for a couple of headlines. So, what's you know, what's the easiest or the simplest way for someone out there who's a layman to understand what Bitcoin or a cryptocurrency is? Uh, uh, awesome, yeah, great question. So, let me preface this by saying I am not a cryptographer, I'm not a programmer, I'm a geek, but I'm not. There's a lot of people that are way smarter than me mm-hmm. when it comes to actually talking about the, the the structure and you know how Bitcoin actually works on the back end. Mm-hmm. Where I think I can kind of communicate this is uh, from a perspective of being an entrepreneur and an investor. Perfect. Okay, so hopefully I can kind of give the, the the layman perspective. So. Bitcoin is quite simply a just a decentralized digital currency. So what the hell does that mean? So decentralized means it's not controlled by any government. Um, it was created um, by a an anonymous person or a group of people. Um, and the code, meaning the, the way that Bitcoin works, the way that the protocol works is completely transparent. You can go and look at it. Anybody can audit it. Um, and basically there's, it's borderless money, right? Mm -hmm. And what that means is the benefit and the use case is you can send unlimited amount of money around the world, um, in a short period of time for basically free. Okay. That's, that's kind of the pitch behind what Bitcoin can do. Um, and the benefit to that is it, it really gives entrepreneurs, investors, Uh, people that want to move money, it it gives a really level playing field where, you know, even if you wanted, you know, to say buy some real estate and you were doing wire transfers, the system that we use right now is just so old and horrible. (laughs) Just terrible in so many ways. The fact that I, you know, and and look, 30 bucks isn't a lot of money, but it's annoying. Like whenever I buy a a real estate, you know, investment property and I have to go and do wire transfers and wait a day or two or three and then pay money. I'm like, this is my money. You know, why, why should it be this complex? And why do I have to jump through all these hoops and all this red tape Mm -hmm. and permission? And so that's really what Bitcoin does. Um, but really currency is just one app of Bitcoin. The, the technology behind Bitcoin is blockchain. So a lot of people have probably heard that word blockchain Mm -hmm. technology. And what blockchain is, is, is basically just a distributed ledger. It's, it's a ledger that anybody can audit and look at. And so people are really excited about that because it is already changing. Um, and we're going to see some massive changes in industries like real estate transactions, uh, supply chain management, healthcare systems, um, you know, property records and, and tax records and stuff. Uh, it's, it's a way that you can put information on a blockchain to, that is uncorruptible, you know, Mm -hmm. like corrupt politicians can't go in and, and like rewrite, you know, property ownership records. Like they love the sound sound of that. 
Yeah. And you know, if, if you've done any real estate, you know, like it's the, the cost of title insurance and just that whole process is again, it's, it's so old and broken. And, and this is the new way that this is the direction in, in which we're headed. Now the blockchain is whoever created Bitcoin, did they also create the blockchain or did the blockchain somehow come after Bitcoin? They are actually the same thing. Okay. So Blockchain is the technology and Bitcoin is call it like the application of the blockchain. Gotcha. So the the value like Bitcoin has a value, right? And that value fluctuates. Uh, and over the past few years, it's fluctu- fluctuated dramatically. Like when it came out, it was worth basically nothing. Uh, and then by 2011, it was, you know, call it 30 to $50. Uh, 2012 and 13, it got as high as $1,200. Uh, and then it crashed back into the hundreds and now here we are back up above seven, eight, nine hundred. Um, so it's a very volatile, it's a very risky market. And the reason why it's so volatile is price discovery is very difficult, meaning th- to know the true value of Bitcoin is very, very difficult because it's a completely new asset class. You know, for so long, we've had fiat currencies like the U.S. dollar. Mm -hmm. Uh, You've had gold, which has been a store of value. And now all of a sudden we have this new thing. It's like this magic Internet money that a lot of people, me included in the beginning, thought was a scam or some kind of Ponzi scheme. Um, And it actually took me two years of research to actually really buy into the fact that this is something real. Um, and so what we've seen over the past few years is significant growth in user adoption. Mm -hmm. And if you're listening to this from the States or in a Western country, you might be going, well, why haven't I seen Bitcoin more in my daily life? Like why do businesses not accept it? Right. And the reason why is in the West, we're spoiled. We have access to basic banking services. Mm But in places like Venezuela or Myanmar um, or, you know, Argentina places or Africa and India, like there's a, there's billions of people around the world that don't have access to basic banking services. And so Bitcoin creates an opportunity where there was none. Got it. And you just mentioned so many reasons why Bitcoin is a great concept and potentially a great thing for this world. Are you bullish on Bitcoin as a concept or just as a way of potentially profiting? So I'll start by saying this. I think that currency competition is one of, if not the best things to happen to capitalism this century. And it's going to be, and it already is becoming the best thing for helping people in poverty. So as far as like speculating on the value, you know, I, I approach Bitcoin from two ways. I invest in it long-term. So anytime there's a massive crash, I buy some, uh, and, and when there's a lot of volatility, I actively trade it. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people don't know you can actually short Bitcoin, which means making money when, when Bitcoin goes down. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as kind of like my long-term view on Bitcoin and blockchain technology, I am extremely, extremely bullish. Uh, if you ask me on any given day, if I'm bullish or bearish on the price, it really depends on what the price has been doing recently um, because it is so volatile and it is so risky. And Chris, how are you investing in Bitcoin and or cryptocurrencies, are you doing it directly in these types of applications or in businesses that are potentially building a business around the concepts? Yeah, so that's a great question. So you can invest 
or I guess save your capital in Bitcoin itself, uh, which a lot of people are looking at as a new store of value, right? Mm-hmm. Like a, a lot of people, uh, in particular in India, you know, if you've ever been to an Indian wedding, it, gold is very prominent. That's that's where people store their wealth, and in a lot of countries now, people are now starting to store their wealth in Bitcoin. Uh, the other way is kind of like you mentioned, investing in startups or companies that are developing products and services around the cryptocurrency economy. So just in the past few years, I think we just crossed $1.3 billion in startup capital that's been raised for Bitcoin and cryptocurrency startups. So this is literally a completely new economy that has spurred up and started growing out of one digital cryptocurrency, right? And now there have been hundreds of other digital currencies that have come out. Most of them have failed. But the beautiful thing about these other cryptocurrencies is the competition that it's creating. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know if Bitcoin 10 years from now is going to be the most popular and the biggest cryptocurrency. It might be Ethereum or Factum or one of the other many cryptocurrencies that that are coming out now. But I kind of look at Bitcoin like AOL and the mid nineties. Do you remember that? The, those CDs that we used to get, they were like 50 hours of AOL for free. <laughs> yeah. And we would have like, you'd have like one friend that had it and then when everyone would go over to their house. Yeah. Right. And then you, you, so you would log into AOL and it was like this self-contained environment. You had chat rooms and stuff. And, and then like the, the internet actually came out, right? Like Netscape and mm-hmm. internet Explorer. And then it kind of opened up. I think Bitcoin is kind of in the AOL days right now. It is, even though it's what's, seven, eight years old, like it is still very, very young. And look, Bitcoin has some problems with the code and, you know, with, with the way that it operates. And there's some really smart people, people that are way smarter than me working on those problems. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I think we're going to see a lot of, um, innovation over the next few years. And, and I think the way that we view and work with digital currencies is going to be dramatically different a decade from now. Okay. So, and I'm just thinking like, where are the flaws in Bitcoin? Cause it seems like it was set up so well when it was whoever, whoever's behind it, set it up so well. It surely it has some flaws, but I think from what, from my perspective, what I see are the flaws in the, in some of the businesses that are being built around it. And I guess I have that perspective because I had money, I had Bitcoin saved in or stored rather in Mt. Gox. Mm -hmm. I think anyone who follows Bitcoin knows what happened to Mt. Gox. It filed for bankruptcy. Some, you know, half a billion dollars worth of Bitcoins basically vanished into midair, including about 30 of of mine, which I'll never see again, I'm sure. Um, So things like that, of course, you know, scare the early adopters like myself. I I didn't know anything about Bitcoin. Someone told me about it. I looked into it. I'm like, you know, this makes sense. And then six months later, it's all gone. Right. But where do you see, do you see falls in, in the actual, you know, Bitcoin and the blockchain itself? Or do you see more in, in, in the, you know, the startups and the surrounding services. It, actually both. And that's a really great question. I'll start by saying this. So yeah, Mt. Gox, for anybody that doesn't know, it was the first exchange, online exchange, where people could go to buy and sell Bitcoin. Kind of like the New York Stock Exchange, but built 
on like really, really bad tech, um, <laughs> you know, so, so basically what happened is they got hacked and, you know, uh, this, there's allegations that the CEO was in on it and all this stuff. And so I, I actually did a YouTube video kind of warning people, telling people I thought they were insolvent. Um, mm-hmm. so I, I saw the writing on the wall before that happened. Um, but to, to that point, like, the exchanges that we have right now are still lacking. Like there is dramatic room for improvement on that. Um, with that said, there are a lot of really smart people that are investing in this, you know, Andreessen Horowitz, um, and a lot of the, the top, you know, Tim Draper, a lot of the top VCs out of uh, Silicon Valley are, are really hot on this all the way over to wall street, you know, the biggest banks, the biggest investment banks and, um, you know, public market, professionals are understanding that blockchain is not some fad. It's not some pump and dump. It's here to stay and it's going to change the economy in ways that we can't even imagine. And so with that said, you know, jumping over to the, the problems with Bitcoin itself, the Bitcoin blockchain protocol, the biggest one that is kind of the most prevalent in my mind is the scaling issue, meaning how many transactions it can actually handle. Right now, I think Bitcoin is doing roughly half a million transactions a day, which is nothing. I don't have any clue. I, I should probably look this up, how many daily credit card transactions there are. Oh. But if I were to guess, I'd guess it's in the tens of millions. Um, and so Bitcoin, if let's say we had mass user adoption mm-hmm. and billions of people just started using Bitcoin in their daily lives, Bitcoin today could not handle that. Now, there are um, solutions that people are actively working on and trying to release to, uh, to help that situation. But that's just one of the problems, right? Is like the guy or the the group of people that created Bitcoin, they had an idea in mind and they were working with limited technology. And, and so now Bitcoin has kind of grown to a point where it needs to evolve and change so it can go to the next level. Mm. With regards to the adoption, I, I remember seeing something distinctly that happened. I think it was back in 2014. The Bank of Cyprus in Cyprus went bankrupt with basically no no alerts. I actually know somebody that had money in, in Bank of Cyprus. He was talking to the banker the day oh, wow. before. Nothing, you know, nothing said. Everything's fine. The next mm-hmm. day they're out of business. Everyone loses everything and they get a little pinch of money back at the end. But the yeah. next day, Bitcoin soared. I think it doubled. Maybe it was around 300 or something. It, it, it blew up. And mm-hmm. you get the impression that, you know, if the, the world's banking systems kind of on this knife's edge and it would only take a couple, you know, a couple things, you know, issue more issues in Europe or, um, you know, more issues with the Fed. And we could have this mass adoption or uh, uh, which would bring so much more attention to Bitcoin. And then I guess on the other side, what what's needed there, there needs more places to actually use Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. So if, if you want the mainstream to actually start adopting this stuff, they need to be able to hold it more than just a store of value, right? They need to be able to mm-hmm. go to, you know, to Best Buy or on Amazon and, and be able to use it for actual transactions, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and you can, there, there's a lot of places that do accept it and you can get um, credit cards or debit cards that will basically instantly uh, transfer Bitcoin into USD or whatever currency you're using so you can purchase stuff. Mm-hmm. So in theory, you can right now, pretty much buy anything, uh, with Bitcoin, but yeah, I mean, for it to be able 
to be accepted and used as a daily medium of exchange, it it does have quite of a, a bit of growing to do um, with the way that the protocol actually works. But yeah, any anytime we see some kind of global crisis, like mm-hmm. recently we saw a couple of months ago, um, India basically made I think it was like eighty five percent of their paper currency illegal. Oh yeah. So, yeah, it was crazy, right? And so basically what they did is they made people bring in these notes and they were giving them new notes. And the the story or the idea behind it was they wanted to end corruption and get a hold on the black market and blah, blah, blah. But really, in my opinion, I mean, that was just a way to tax people, right? And then they placed these arbitrary limits on how much gold people can have. And so if you look at the just the Google search volume from India about Bitcoin, it went through the roof. And Bitcoin was actually selling for a premium at one point in India, well over a hundred dollars than what it was selling for here in the U S. And so, yeah, anytime, you know, like the Venezuelan crisis, Mm -hmm. I was recently down there investigating that and and speaking to Venezuelans and, um, you know, helping people get systems and, and services set up to help them do cross border remittances and things like that. Um, so yeah, anytime there's a big financial crisis, people just seem to kind of pour into Bitcoin. And I think what happened in India, I think that's, I think that's coming to the West pretty quick. I know they're, they're floating the idea of getting rid of the hundred dollar bill and mm-hmm. there's some big bills, you know, Singapore's got a thousand dollar sing bill. And I think pretty soon those are all going to be gone for the reasons that you said it's once, once you get rid of the bills, it's much easier to tax money and it gives more control to the banks, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the government wants to control, right? I mean, they're, they're, they're grabbing for as much as they can and they want to get as much tax revenue as they can, mm-hmm. right or wrong. I mean, you know, like it, but the, the thing with Bitcoin is it is, you know, borderless, permissionless money that, you know, you really don't have to go apply for a brokerage account or a bank account. You know, it literally, you can be your own bank. Love that concept. And Chris, which ways do you see to make money in cryptocurrencies? You already mentioned that you'll buy in dips and hold it for Mm -hmm. the longer term. And then you'll also trade it in volatility for, you know, for, for anyone that's interested out there. Do you see other ways to do or those are the two primary ways that people should get involved with Bitcoin in in terms of trying to make money off of it? Yeah. So the the three primary ways that I see are number one, entrepreneurship, which means a whole plethora of things. So Mm -hmm. if you're somebody that has a business, um, one thing you could do fairly easily is start accepting Bitcoin as payment. And there's a community of people that are hungry to buy (laughs) stuff with Bitcoin. So that can be an extra revenue source for you. Um, Or if you're an entrepreneur that is tech savvy, maybe you're a programmer or developer of some sort, and you study the cryptocurrency economy, you study Bitcoin, and maybe you have an idea for uh, a new cryptocurrency that's better than Bitcoin, or maybe a service based around blockchain technology. There's a tremendous opportunity there. Um, So entrepreneurship, I, I think would be the, the, the biggest way if you're a creator, if you're an entrepreneur or developer, um, then investing, you know, I, I think as an investment, you know, Bitcoin is very, very risky because of the volatility. And everybody thought I was crazy when I was bullish on Bitcoin in 2015, around 200. And, you know, I recently had a, a video, um, uh, kind of pop off on YouTube where I was basically explaining why Bitcoin went up so fast and why it crashed and just talking about investor mentality and how everybody knows inherently that you should buy low and sell high, but why the hell does everybody do the exact opposite? And 
you know, so, so I think before you start investing in Bitcoin, I think you should really try to learn everything you can about it and understand where price is relative to where it has been over the past several months or years. And, and then you can make that personal decision if Bitcoin's a value play and a value buy, or if it's overvalued, right? And mm -hmm. that is a very, very difficult thing to know, because again, this is a complete, completely new asset class and nobody knows where this is going. Um, and then trading it, actively trading it. So the, the good thing with volatility is big moves mean opportunity for active traders. Now, most traders lose money, so you have to learn the right way <laughs> to do that. And there's a lot of discipline and patience and risk management involved, but but yeah, I think those are the, the three kind of major ways to make money with this. That's great. I looked up uh, Bitcoin when I bought it. This goes back, I want to say 2014 for the first time. And mm -hmm. I was looking at Bitcoin compared to other major world currencies, how much is in circulation, what the total market cap of, of, that, of the currency in circulation was. And I think I came up with a figure that based on the amount of coins that could be mined for Bitcoin, and comparing that to the top 25 world currencies, if Bitcoin was ever adopted to become a top 25 world currency, which seems like a big number, but you know most of the world currencies are maybe a, a group of 10, and the other ones are really just more localized or single market used, mm -hmm. then, the, then Bitcoin could raise, if it cracked the top 25 current world currencies, then each coin would be worth over 10,000 uh, per mm -hmm. coin. And that statistic alone kind of made me think, well, this it's a, it's a worthwhile shot, right? Buy right. five coins or, or whatever and, um, and sit on them for 10 years. Uh, the only problem is I just, I sat on, <laughs> in, on them in the wrong place, but uh, I guess that's a good place to pick up. Like once you buy, well, first off, where's the best place in your opinion to currently buy Bitcoin and or a cryptocurrency? Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's a good point. I'll just touch on, you know, like Mt. Gox, like a lot of people look at Bitcoin exchanges with the same kind of trust that they would if you had like a, an Ameritrade account mm -hmm. or, you know, some kind of 401k, like Bitcoin exchanges are not bank accounts. And if you have your Bitcoin on an exchange, you really don't own those coins. The only time you own the coin is when you control the private key. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of times that it's best stored in cold storage, just like you would store gold. Right. Um, now with that said, talking about like value and, and, um, yeah, I mean, there are some crazy, crazy speculative numbers that if Bitcoin does have some kind of mass user adoption around the world, like the, the yeah, it's, I, I kind of look at it as like a very high risk, high reward scenario, right? Like oh, yeah. this, this could absolutely fail. It could absolutely crash and go to zero. I think the probability of that happening is super, super low. Um, and I think the probability of it becoming a, a world reserve currency or, or a, a top 25 currency, I don't even know how to look at that from a probabilistic standpoint, but I, I think it's better than it crashing and going to zero. Um, so yeah, as an investor, there is massive potential upside. But with that said, I don't think people should just like start throwing their retirement into oh, it. Oh yeah, sure. Definitely. So yeah, you mentioned this. So cold storage. So that was, we had Simon Black on about 15 episodes ago and he was talking about nice. he's, he also hold, holds Bitcoin in cold storage. And I actually didn't understand the concept when he said it. He was just like, yeah, mm -hmm. I just have it written down. I put it in a storage in my house and I have plenty of guns around my house if anyone wants to come get the code. <laughs> I, I didn't actually understand how that how that happens. So you, yeah. you literally just write down the code 
you don't store it, say, in any of these these online wallets anywhere. And if you ever want to to use that, you just you have that code and you can you can put in a wallet at some point and or use it in a transaction just with that code. Is that how it would work? Yeah, yeah. So um, a, a lot of people, when they first hear about Bitcoin, they immediately think of like a, a physical coin. Mm-hmm. But there there is no physical coin. I guess you could like have a gold coin and then print your your public and private keys on it. But the the main ways to store it are either on an exchange, right, which is the the most risky, uh, on a um, a computer wallet, right, like something on your hard drive, which is risky if you don't back it up. There, there's actually a story of a guy that had a bunch of Bitcoin on his computer. He forgot about it, threw the computer away, and then a couple years later or sometime later, check the price of Bitcoin and the Bitcoin that he had was worth $9 million. Oh my gosh. I heard this story and it was, he went to try to find the computer out of a dump, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think he was like at this, <laughs> this massive dump for days or weeks or however long, just like praying that he could find it. And from what I heard, I don't think he ever found it. Wow. But, so there's literally no way to, to, to get it back in that scenario. Yeah. If you don't have backups, um, which, you know, it's, it's basically just ones and zeros. So you can back it up and there, there's ways that you can, you know, secure it. But the, the other way is, is offline or cold storage. And, and there are actually hardware tools that you can buy, like little USB plug looking things that uh, you can basically store the information on. A couple of them are uh, like Trezor, T-R-E-Z-O-R, mm-hmm. I believe. Uh, and then Ledger Wallet. Um, so th- those are just tools that you can pop into your computer, download it, and then store it. Or you can quite literally just write down the information for your the Bitcoin that you control. And to get a little geeky, like you don't actually own the Bitcoin. You don't actually have the Bitcoin. What you have is access to that Bitcoin value mm. on the blockchain. So the Bitcoin never really goes anywhere. It's just like who controls it, who has the password to that amount of Bitcoin. Gotcha. So you would literally write down the whatever the unique ID is, the unique identifier, and you would have to have a password for that in the same somewhere as well, right? Essentially, yeah. The two major things are the pr- the public key, which is kind of like your email address, like, hey, send me Bitcoin here or I'm going to send you Bitcoin there. That's the, the number that mm-hmm. you give out. And then you have the private key, which is kind of like the password. And the reason you wouldn't want this all this stored, say, on your desktop or your computer is if someone ever broke into your computer, it would be pretty easy for them just to, to steal and, and transfer. Exactly. Yeah. Look at Bitcoin as like digital cash mm-hmm. or digital gold. It's like if somebody comes and, you know, goes goes to the bank and they break in the vault and they take the gold, that gold is gone. Right. Uh, it, it's kind of the same thing for for Bitcoin. Mm, OK, such an interesting concept. So how about you? Do you keep yours in like a wallet or do you keep it in cold storage? Most of it in cold storage. Um, you know, anytime I trade or invest, like we basically move it on exchange and then off because exchanges have have gotten hacked and, and I've lost money that way. And, you know, that's one thing that you just before you get into it, I would really suggest that people take a very serious look at security and understanding how to, to secure it before they start buying it. This is the exact reason why my parents or my dad would <laughs> never even consider this because I, yeah. I can just see him trying to download this digital unique identifier into a USB chip and then putting it in his, his safe. It's just something I don't think the baby boomers are ever going to be widely adopting, but Obviously, yeah. it's it's something that's more positioned for the millennials and and the, the technical savvy ones. Yeah. And that's why, um, you know, so Coinbase is a, a, a very successful Bitcoin startup. They're trying to 
bring like a very user friendly interface mm-hmm. to the the mass majority of people where it basically feels like PayPal or online banking where sure. you can go in and quickly buy and it, it's very intuitive and they've done a very good job with that. They've raised, I think over a hundred million bucks. And, um, so I, I think you asked the question earlier, like where's the best place for people to buy? I would say if, if you're just getting into Bitcoin, uh, check out Coinbase. There are several other exchanges, but I think Coinbase is doing the best job right now with making it, you know, user friendly for your your layman person. And and I, that's where I enjoy. I mean, I, I think they're just doing a great job. And you, is, do you know if Coinbase allows anyone from any nation to buy, or are there certain restrictions? No, there are some restrictions. Um, so you can either buy Bitcoin at an exchange, or you can buy Bitcoin in person. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a website called Local. Um, local bitcoins and basically you can meet up in person or they they help facilitate that um and yeah uh, i i just think the exchanges are a little quicker and a little more efficient Mm -hmm. and for someone that's interested in trading i know you teach a lot of this stuff and and if people follow you they're going to learn a ton about this stuff is it similar to trading any type of currency and in types of it's it seems more volatile which i guess would be present more more upside and potentially more downside uh, in, in trading it. But other than that, do you, do you look at it almost as the same as trading a currency? It's, it's similar in that, you know, the price action, the if anybody's ever looked at a stock chart, you know, the price action means the same thing. Mm -hmm. Um, but the market dynamics are different meaning. So, so my background, I actually used to day trade the stock and futures market for many, many years. And one thing that I noticed, so I, I first started trading in high school and I did it part-time for many years. And then, you know, after the housing, uh, boom and bust, Mm -hmm. I started doing full time. And I noticed that over the years, the markets, the stock market got more and more competitive. It felt more and more manipulated. We had the, the introduction of high frequency computer algorithms. So, um, one thing that just really made me kind of sad about the stock market is I realized no matter how hard I tried and no matter what systems I created, no matter what I taught Mm. 90% or more of people that trade the stock market lose money. That that's just a fact. I don't care what strategy you're using, what time frame you're using. If you're actively trading the stock or futures market, you have a nine out of 10 chance or more of losing money. And so I didn't want to be in that world anymore where most people lost. Like I just, it it didn't feel good. Mm -hmm. And so whenever I got into Bitcoin, I noticed I'm like, this actually is much easier for the small trader because there's no uh, minimum trade size. So for uh, for example, in, in the U.S., in the stock market, if you want to day trade the stock market, you have to abide by the pattern day trader rule, which says you need at least $25,000 in your account. With Bitcoin, you can trade with five bucks if you want to, right? And right now, and I don't know how long this is going to be true, but right now, the big hedge funds and the professional traders and the algorithms are not dominating this market. It's primarily driven by big countries like China, like a lot of the trading volume comes from China and there's just a lot of what I call emotional money, right? Mm. That's why it's so volatile. So when you have this kind of volatility and uh, a much lower competition environment than the stock market, it just creates an easier opportunity for traders. Now, granted, still not a hundred percent of traders are going to win. A lot of people are still going to lose, but if you take the time to learn how to read mass human emotion. I think that's the most important thing. And Bitcoin is just a 
awesome use case for that because it is so volatile and it is so emotional. That's really interesting, Chris. And what about you? When was the first time that you actually got into Bitcoin? You said you studied it for about two years before you, you fully adopted it. Yeah. In 2011, it, when it had its first kind of a boom and bust pattern. I think it went from, what was it? It was around like 50 cents and then it went up to like 30 something dollars uh-huh. and then it crashed back down to two bucks. And I, I got an email from a buddy that was working at a hedge fund and he's like, Chris, you got to check this out. It's called Bitcoin. And I, I looked at the chart and I was like, Ooh, this looks like a penny stock pump and dump. It looks like <laughs> some kind of scammy internet money. Like what is this gold icon? I'm like, I don't have time for this crap. So I, I saw it over the the next couple of years, I read a little more about it. And then it wasn't until the spring of 2013 when it ramped up to like 266 and then crashed back down that I was like, okay, there's actually something here. Like Mm -hmm. this isn't just a fad that's going away, even though it's, it has these boom and bust patterns, it keeps gaining market cap size. Like it keeps growing and the price keeps going up over time. And so that's when, you know, the, what I call the China bubble of late 2013 happened when Bitcoin went from about a hundred bucks to over a thousand. And my first ever like video and blog post about Bitcoin was actually negative. I was like, look guys, like I'm kind of worried about this. Mm -hmm. I don't think this is sustainable. I think it went up way too fast, way too quickly. I like the technology, but if you're an investor, be careful, you know, like, look, I'm not a financial advisor. I'm not going to tell you what to do, but I just see significant risk here. And then over the next year, it crashed back down into the 100s again. Yeah, I remember that distinctly. And I'm reading Harry Dent's new book called The Sale of a Lifetime, which is very much just a study of bubbles. And I mm-hmm. that that whole boom bust of when it went up from 100 to 1,000 looks like every single one of the charts in that yeah. book. And I remember like CNBC, all, all like these money shows on TV. At that point, they all started, they put Bitcoin up there with all the different currencies and they were watching the price every single day. Like it was, you know, it was just the hottest thing out there. And then when it bust, they all removed it and stopped talking about it, I think pretty much ever since. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. And, and a lot of people, they, they kind of forget about Bitcoin when it's cheap. And then mm-hmm. when it's expensive, that's when everybody wants to buy. And, you know, it should be the opposite, right? If you have conviction, if you believe in it and the price is cheap, that's when you buy. Yeah, totally. And how about, so easy. <laughs> you know, it's, just, it's, it's, we, we literally touch on that, t- that exact premise, probably every other episode. And it's, it's one of the hardest things in the entire world to do because everyone, you know, when things are down 20, 30%, everyone's scared, you know, it doesn't matter how many times you've been through it. You just think this time, this time could be different, you know, but yeah, uh, something we all got to, we all got to work on as as humans we're taught or not taught. I mean, I think it's ingrained in us to move away from risk, Mm -hmm. right? To move away from negativity. So like when a price, when, when a market is crashing, right? Like that's why everybody bought, you know, if you remember like the, the real estate bubble of the early 2000s, like 2003, four and five, everybody was buying when prices were high. And then after the crash in 2009 and 10, nobody was buying, right? That's when I was like, okay, there's some juicy deals out there. Like I'm going to, I'm going to grab this up, but it's when things are at their most ugly. And I'm sure one of your guests has probably brought this up. Like Warren Buffett says, when people are greedy, be scared. And when people are scared, be greedy, do the opposite of what the mass majority of people are doing. Well, hopefully we can apply that before the, before the end of our lives, when we sit back and write a book about it and put it into play, (laughs) play now. But I, I guess that seems like, you know, a lot of your philosophy and what you're doing on almost a daily basis when you're trading this stuff, when, when there's high volatility in it. 
Yeah. Yeah. And look, I, I don't day trade this. I swing, I just swing trade it. Mm-hmm. I go for the big long-term moves. Um, you know, I, I think day trading is just very stressful and no matter what market you're trading, if you're like jumping in and out, like it's, it's very, very difficult to, to time it perfectly. So I would encourage anybody, you know, just, just look into Bitcoin, understand it first, maybe buy a little bit, um, play with it, send it to somebody, buy mm-hmm. something with it. And, um, and just, you know, understand that, I think currency competition is going to be the thing that we look back on and and say this was one of the best things to happen to capitalism of the century. That's really well said. And Chris, how about any alternatives? What, what do you think the biggest alternative coin is to to Bitcoin? What's the biggest competitor? And you mentioned <clears throat> you thought that they might be able to overtake and or or um, yeah, pretty much and or, or overtake them in the future ahead. Yeah. So th- this is a, a very fast moving target. Um but if you go to, there's a site called uh, coinmarketcap.com, mm-hmm. just coinmarketcap. You can see the current market capitalization of, of all of the cryptocurrencies. Um, and as of right now, Ethereum is number two. Um, they've got about a $850 million market cap. Jeez. Um, yeah, li- literally from zero. Um, they they did an initial uh, raise. I think they raised sixteen million, and then within a few months, it was over a billion dollar market cap. Um, some other ones that that I think have a, a, a USB a unique selling prop in addition to what Bitcoin offers is Monero, um, Dashcoin, um, Factum. Um, you know, there there are just several. Um, that that are just trying to compete, right? That are that are really just trying to to outdo Bitcoin, which I think is great. So Bitcoin's at almost four thirteen and a half billion market cap. Do these, yeah. all these other coins? Do they do they have USPs? Like, is there something that's unique that they're trying to position themselves as better as, or are they just coming up with essentially the same concept and splashing a cool name and a little bit of marketing behind them? Yeah, I mean, there are a ton of scammy, just low value coins like Trump coin. And, um, you know, there are some coins that have like a proposition where they say, look, this is why we're better than Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Um, and and some of them are different programming lang- languages. Some of them have different ways of uh, being anonymous. Um, some of them have uh, different ways of supporting dApps, which stands for decentralized applications. You know, basically like uh, applications that run on a peer-to-peer network that can't be shut down. Um, so it's just it's a really, really interesting time. And for me, whenever I look at a coin and I'm like, okay, does this have true potential and true value? I look at the development team and and I look at what their goals are and how they're funded. You know, it's just like any startup, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and Bitcoin so far has been the top dog. I, I kind of look at Bitcoin as like AOL in the early days, you know, and, and AOL had the chance to dominate the space, right? They were the first mover and shaker, but other people dominated, right? And so we'll see. I mean, I, I think it'll be really interesting even like five short years from now to see where this stuff is. Wow. And I guess just one question to kind of sum this up is, have you ever thought about Bitcoin and or cryptocurrencies in comparison to precious metals and or gold? Do you think, you know, do you think there's a place for both of those? Because I kind of look at this like, you know, maybe cryptocurrencies just become the new gold of the future. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I've, I've put a lot of thought into that and there's, you know, I, money, the, the subject of money and the, the subject of wealth is kind of like religion. Like people will get very, very defensive and have very strong opinions about this. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like you have gold bugs. You have people that say like gold is the truest and purest form of money. And then you have other people that are like, no, fiat currency is like the dollar or the, the best way. And then now like cryptocurrencies, I just like to say, guys, I don't know. You know, like I, I, you know, gold has been the best store of value, meaning just, you know, a, a way to actually store value for the last several centuries. Mm-hmm. But as a, a medium of exchange, it sucks. You know, like what do you if you carry a gold bar around and like chip it off and try to buy stuff with it, that's not efficient. Right. Right. So, so I think Bitcoin does seek to be the best of both of those things. But I do think there's room for all of it. Um, maybe one will emerge and everybody will flood into it. Maybe that's Bitcoin. Maybe it's not. Um, but I am a fan of gold. I, I think it's beautiful. I, I think it's uh, at least for the past several centuries, it's it's held its value pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also a speculative thing. Like if you remember in 2010 and 11, when the price was going crazy and you saw the pawn shops that had the we buy gold prices, it's the same idea, right? The same boom bust bubble cycle. Um, so I only started buying gold more recently in the past few years, and I don't know if we're at a bottom or if it's going to lose another 50% of its value. I, I just like to say, like, I have no idea where money is going long-term and anybody that has too strong of an opinion about it, you know, maybe there's a conflict of interest there. Maybe they're actually selling gold or, you know, I don't know, but I, I just think the the smart move is to know what all the options are and not get caught by surprise. Like five or 10 years later, been like, man, I should have got into Bitcoin in 2017. It's almost like a sci-fi movie. You have someone, you know, so many people around the world right now that now have a safe at their house that has a chunk of gold in it. And right next to it is a USP drive with a Bitcoin unique identifier <laughs> yeah. on it. Right. Can you imagine? Yep. Never, never would have thought about that when, uh, when we were born, but yeah, look where we are and look how times have changed. So Chris, this has been a lot of fun, massively entertaining and educational. I know the listeners are going to love this episode as our first dive into cryptocurrencies. We'd love to know how we can find out more about you. You know, I know your, your, your uh, website, chrisdunn.com. What are yeah. other good ways for people to hear more from you and, and look into your material? Yeah. Thanks, Sam. Um, yeah. Chrisdunn.com is my blog. Skillincubator.com is uh, my company website. Uh, and then I'm Chris Dunn TV on social media. Um, I do a bunch of YouTube videos on anything that interests me. You know, my, my kind of philosophy is like build valuable skills that can help you thrive in today's economy. And I'm just, I'm obsessed with high performers. I'm obsessed with, you know, what skills are actually valuable now and not just the fluffy, like resume based economy. So that's, I think where my focus is going to be over the next few years is just helping people figure out how to create more income and, and then invest their profits in smart ways. So uh, YouTube, Twitter, all that good stuff. And if, if anybody has any questions, feel free to reach out to me. Chris, thanks a lot. Keep us posted on anything coming new from you. And this has been a lot of fun. We appreciate it. Thanks, Sam. I really appreciate it, man. Wow. That was another great episode. Big thanks to Chris Dunn for taking his time to come on the show and talk about cryptocurrencies. Man, I don't even know where to begin with the commentary on the after this, I, I have so many things that I kind of learned and picked up and refreshed in my mind from this. A lot of just geopolitical thoughts, a lot of investing thoughts, a lot of, you know, just, I don't know, uh, what's the word? 
I got I got burned by Mount Gox, so that's fresh on the mind. But yeah, a lot of things came out of that, Johnny. I, so you said before the show that you've never invested in cryptocurrencies. Is that that's that's true, right? Nothing. You've never bought any type of cryptocurrencies before. So what's actually really funny is I remember it was probably like ten years ago or something. The first time I ever heard about Bitcoin or the first time I heard about any of that stuff was I was on the the deep web because a friend had showed showed me how to get on and I saw that people were making these like micro loans on the deep web, you know, and I, I have no idea what it was for, if people were buying like illegal stuff with it, but it looked like it was, you know, this insane amount of um of interest. It was almost like being a loan shark online and I I was like you know this is too good to be true this is probably you know some some scam but it was, I was like you know what let me gamble like two hundred bucks and just just give it a shot see what happens because if I can get you know thirty percent interest in a month or something you know like why not give it a shot and <laughs> when I was trying to to do it uh, I found out that you can't just you know PayPal the, the person money you have to do it through Bitcoin. And I was like thinking, okay, you know, I'll do that. But at the time, it was so hard to buy Bitcoin that I just gave up. And I just said, yeah, I forget it. It's, you know, it's not worth it. But in retrospect, if I had done that, most likely that loan actually would have paid off. Because I think at the time, the, you know, I, I don't even remember the Silk Road, which ended up getting mm-hmm. shut down later. That actually seemed like it was, you know, a, I don't want to say a legit marketplace, but people were, were actually buying and, and selling things there. Uh, and it was, you know, it wasn't just a total scam. It was like people were actually receiving things they were buying. So I'm pretty sure whoever I was loaning this money to would have paid me back. And I probably would have ended up, you know, end up just letting that roll, getting a couple of Bitcoins and then just forgetting about it. And who knows? Maybe I would own a couple of Bitcoins right now. But that, that's, it just didn't happen because it was too hard for me to even buy that initial one. Ah, uh, well, owning zero Bitcoins. Johnny is a lot better than buying 30 and losing them all in Mount Cox. And that's what happened to me. And you know what? I got so sick. I was in Bangkok when this happened and I was having dinner with my buddy and he sits down. We cheers a beer. He's like, hey, bro, did you hear the news? Mount Cox is going bankrupt. And I immediately just got sick to my stomach, right? Because it was something that I didn't really understand or, or really know what I was doing. But I had bought it at I think 200 and Mount Gox went bust around the top. So if I had 30 coins, I mean, that's almost, that's like 30, over 30 grand, I think. That is currently $27,540, buddy. Dude, have you ever seen the photo of the Mount Gox? I'm just looking up right now. Mount Gox CEO. This guy looks like the biggest slime ball you've ever seen. And it's almost one of those things, hindsight, if you had seen a photo of this guy, I don't think anyone would invest in this thing because he just looks like a weasel. And of course, it's easy to say after, you know, $500 million is is wiped clean from his exchange and there's all these victims. Um, but it goes into, you know, the complexities that we talked about in this episode. It was something that I jumped into. And this is good advice for the listeners out there. And what, you know, what Chris mentioned, I really like Chris's advice. And this is similar advice that we give to a lot of these new asset classes that we're not quite familiar with is, which is learn about it, research it. If you want, tiptoe into it, try it. Because oftentimes, especially with Bitcoin, one of the great things is you can try it for like $5. You don't have to go buy one Bitcoin, which is going to cost you now close to 900 bucks. You can buy a very small fraction of a Bitcoin for a few bucks just to see what it's like, you know, and a lot of times 
that's the learning curve for most people. Instead of just reading or listening to this podcast, actually apply that knowledge and try it. Uh, but it's a lot harder with some asset classes like a property because you'd have to go out and buy a physical property, right? Um, so yeah, I, I it's it, it was complicated then. It's still complicated now to me. Uh, I just looked online and I also so I also have some Bitcoin still that I have in a place called blockchain.info. And it was a good refresher to, to talk to Chris and remember how this stuff is stored. So this would actually be an exchange that he's advising not to keep the money in. So one of my big my big takeaways after this episode was I need to figure out how to get this into a safer place. And that's that's going to be a big goal for me this week is understand where this is because I, I have 22 Bitcoins here. I probably got these at $200 a piece. Now it's up to like 900. So it's some, it's some substantial money there. So I need to make sure I get these in a safer spot. Okay. Well, if nothing else, at least, uh, you know, you, you got that takeaway from it. Cause 22 Bitcoins is still, you know, a down payment on a Tesla three. So <laughs> it's almost, it's almost a whole Tesla. A, yeah. It's almost it, a whole almost Tesla. A, yeah. You know, when, it, when, when does our, our Teslas come out at the end of 2017, maybe, by the end of 2017, it'll be enough to pay for the entire Tesla, and maybe Tesla will be accepting Bitcoin as payment by that time. They're a pretty innovative company. Yeah, I'd say. I, w- I wouldn't be surprised. And actually, uh, so the takeaway that I got from this episode, and so what I really liked about this episode was was the fact that he didn't just talk about what Bitcoin is or how to invest in Bitcoin, because quite frankly, I have zero interest right now in investing in Bitcoin. It's way too volatile for me. Uh, I, I just I just wouldn't do it. But as a business owner, uh, especially someone who sells digital goods, which you know, I, I guess inherently, you know, if I sell something that's one hundred ninety seven dollars, if I got cash, it would be one hundred ninety seven dollars. But I was actually thinking, I think I'm going to start accepting bitcoins, not for my physical products because I have hard costs associated with it. Like I can't mm-hmm. ship someone a table that I have to pay, you know, one hundred and seventy dollars for out of my pocket to get a. $199 with a Bitcoin because if it fluctuates, I'm, I get kind of screwed. But if I'm selling a digital product that I guess in my mind, you know, cost me $0 to send out, mm-hmm. if I can get, if I can get $197 with a Bitcoin for that instead of $197 cash, to me, that's actually something I would be willing to do because not only would that maybe open up potential market for people who, you know, want to spend Bitcoin. I can get those supporters. I can, you know, be ahead of the trend. But then if that amount goes up, then I've now made more money. And if it goes down, at least there's no hard costs associated with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. And you know what else really I love about cryptocurrencies and just fintech and the the way everything's moving in, in these categories, I can't stand banks. I the the biggest stress in my life on a regular basis is always dealing with banks and even PayPal. I mean, PayPal used to be such an innovative company. It was essentially innovated by Elon Musk, right? Mm-hmm. Now it's like one of the worst companies to deal with. I spent 48 minutes on the phone with them last night on hold just to have an automated service pick up and say, no one's available now, please call back later. And it hung up at 48 minutes. I've been on hold. Wow. I mean, I can't stand these companies. The customer service has just become, it's just been become the standard of crap, right? That mm-hmm. everyone accepts because it's its so crappy across every bank, across yep. everywhere in the world. It's horrible. So I'm looking forward to, I, I think what, you know, one thing Chris said with, with the currency competition, and I think this also puts a lot of pressure on banks and the entire institution when 
these things be, start becoming popular, they start after rethinking the, the way that they do things, right? Um, so, and another cool thing, geopolitically, so he mentioned this this thing that just happened in India where they they pretty much have instituted this war on cash. Mm-hmm. And we had Simon Black on the, on the podcast back in episode 19. He talks about this stuff a lot. A lot of listeners out there will be familiar with Simon Black. And a lot of people right now are talking about this again, this war on cash and the the removal of big denominated bills in a lot of Western countries. So we're talking, you know, the hundred dollar GBP bill of of the UK, the thousand dollar Singapore bill, the five hundred euro bill, the hundred dollar US bill. Uh, there's other big ones like the Hong Kong dollar makes a thousand dollar bill. I mean, I think the days are totally numbered on these bills. And there's a lot of conspiracy theorists out there hooting and hollering that you know, what this means. But I think it's like Chris said, it's, it's not necessarily good or bad. It's just the way things are. Banks want more control. Governments want more control. Governments want to be able to tax and, and paper money is really hard to tax. And if you think about it, every currency out there is really digital money. You know, mm-hmm. cryptocurrency has this really fancy, flashy technical name, but, but the U S dollar is a digital currency, right? Paper, mm-hmm. the paper side of it is just one medium of exchange, but the majority of U.S. dollars reside as pixels in a computer somewhere. They're not actually, the actual printed money is a very small fraction. So, you know, if you think of cryptocurrencies in that sense, they're not such a crazy concept because almost all money out there is is already digitized, right? Definitely agree on that. And that's actually a really good point where I think a lot of people don't realize that, you know, a bank doesn't have that money, like definitely not in gold and definitely not mm-hmm. in, in anything else. Yeah. yeah so I, I think, you know, the, the purpose of paper money in this world, we're in such a, a modern digital world. I think the use of paper money is, is really no longer except for small transactions. And it's fun to roll around a hundred dollar, hundred dollars and sometimes $1 bills in your pocket, depending on where you're going. Mm-hmm. But you know, I think cryptocurrencies are one big geopolitical event away from really becoming adopted by the mainstream. Um, it certainly seems like the direction everything's going in. Yeah, I, I could definitely see that. And hopefully it'll be Bitcoin. Hopefully they'll figure it out. I'm glad that there are way smarter people than you or I working on this uh, and letting it kind of stabilize in the long run. Uh, I think even things like, you know, like Amazon coin now is a thing where. If I was living in the U.S. and I was buying a lot of things on Amazon and somebody wanted to pay me for something like a service or something and they wanted to give me $300 in Amazon coin, I would take it. Because I'd be like, all right, well, to me, that's very stable. Uh, it's something that I can spend. I can, you know, I can sell it or transfer it if I wanted to. Uh, I, I wouldn't even mind, you know, having kind of almost like credit somewhere. You know, if, uh-huh. if someone gave me a a debit card, a pre- preloaded debit card with 10 grand on it, instead of transferring 10 grand to my bank account, I, I would take it and just use it the same. So what's Amazon coin? It's just a, a credits through Amazon, basically? Yeah, exactly. And right now, people, they're just using it you know, to buy digital goods. Like if I wanted to download the la- latest Blizzard ex- you know, game or expansion pack or something, I could pay with Amazon coin instead of with cash. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's I, I don't know how rolled out that is yet, but I, I have a feeling that it's gonna get <clears throat> it's gonna get more and more popular. So I just looked up the the market cap of Bitcoin. Fifteen billion, bro. Fifteen billion is the market cap of Bitcoin. It's nine hundred and twenty dollars a, a uh, coin right now. Again, you can buy those in 
in fractional units. And then Ethereum, which I'd never even heard of until this episode, uh, is almost 1 billion right behind it. And then there's, there's Ripple. So I, I mentioned this in the episode and this would be a good challenge out there for any listeners to maybe come up with this and, and put it in the boss lounge or email us. And I, I'd started looking into this after the episode, I had come up with some type of quantitative number in my price for what I thought Bitcoin could achieve if it was adopted by the masses. I did this like four years ago. I tried to figure out how I did it again. I couldn't figure it out. But if someone could try to quantify a price target for Bitcoin, um, I think the way I had done it was based on the money supply of like a top 25 currency, not a top like two or three, but you know, something that's like maybe in like the realm of Chile or Colombia, like what their money supply is. And then we know Bitcoin will only ever be 21 million coins. So what a price target would be, you know, if it was widely adopted. I don't know if anyone out there can quantify it, but that would be really interesting uh, to take a look at and, and share with everybody. Okay. Well, I think, you know, overall to kind of, you know, wrap it all up, what, what are your plans going to be with cryptocurrencies or, you know, what are your takeaways from here that, that you're going to move forward with? I would say I'm pretty happy with where I'm at. I like being in it because I, I believe in it as a concept for a lot of different reasons. Uh, a, just going against the grain. B, just because I want to see, you know, banking and and really finance as a category reformed in a lot of ways or at least updated to uh, to better standards. I don't know. I just, you know, it's one of these things that we like to dabble in, right? But I have, you know, I, I have 20... Uh, 22 coins. So that's a, a fair amount right there. What I want to do is not is to, to, to protect my downside and make sure nothing happens like what happened before, which is just a just really devastating, and demoralizing. You know, when that happened, I just felt like the biggest idiot. You, all the signs were there, but I jumped into it without understanding it. And boom, you know, 30 grand's gone, just wiped off. Yeah. Never going to get it back. No recourse. All you have is you're looking at photos of the CEO and seeing what a weasel he is. And just, you know, those type of things, they, st they last with you. And, and hopefully you learn from them. But I want to make sure that that doesn't happen with this. So I will try to my best to get these Bitcoins out of the exchange and into cold storage. Mm -hmm. I'm still confused by the process, really. But I think with a little bit of research... And maybe just asking Chris for feedback on it. Maybe some boss listeners have done this before. Get those into literally just cold storage in a safe and something I can, you know, open back up in 10 years and see what the price is. Okay. Yeah, I, I definitely think that's a good idea. And I'm, I'm sorry that, you know, that happened to you. It sucks. You know, I think we never want to see friends lose money. So seems like on every episode now we're, we're uncovering like a new mistake that we made in the past, but usually that you've made. Crypto, so. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be a 2017 goal is to limit those mistakes of all yeah. our newfound knowledge. I, I definitely think so. Uh, so one, uh, I guess mistake that I, I've made uh, that you mentioned earlier is putting a lot of money through PayPal where mm -hmm. I just checked my PayPal. They suck by the way. Uh, they suck. Um, yeah. They, echo, they are echo. terrible. And you are right. They used to be the, you know, innovative way to transfer money online. And now they, I'm, you know, pretty much ever since um, Elon Musk left, 
and it's now it's run by this like a bank it's it sucks again so luckily there are new companies coming out that are kind of paving the ways um i use another service called dwala d-w-o-l-l-a which is Mm -hmm. kind of like the new paypal unfortunately it's just not as widely adopted yet you know so not everyone has it yet but i've used it uh and i think i've transferred tens of thousands of dollars through it. I, I, you know, I think last year I, I've transferred, you know, I, like, cause one of my affiliate managers pays me through it and I've, you know, I've gotten like $30,000, um, from him last year. So it definitely works. Um, and I'm taking a look at my PayPal and it looks like they have put on something called a rolling reserve on my account where currently no they, are, way. Yeah, they are holding $8,000 of mine, <laughs> Uh, to just just do, because they feel like it, there's nothing I can do. Do you know what a rolling reserve is? Kind of, but but you can explain it for for the audience. Well, if if I'm correct, because when we used to be processing, well, this goes back to SkySig days. But when we first started processing money, the bank was unfamiliar with basically our category, right? Which were e-cigarettes. Mm-hmm. So they applied a rolling reserve, which meant for any deposits that we were getting, like transaction deposits that we were receiving, they would hold part of that money back. And let's just say it was 10%. So if we get, if we made $100 in a day, they would hold back $10 from us because they were using that as a reserve against some type of chargeback or any other type of issues. And it was total pain in the ass, massive cash drag. Uh, and it took us years to get that loosened up. But that was for a very, you know, that was for a brand new industry, new category banks weren't familiar with. Uh, so for, you know, it's, I've certainly never heard it being happened through PayPal for some, some type of business model like yours is, but does that seem like w- what's happening with your account? That's exactly what they're doing. Um, they, they just kind of slap this on. I think what happened was when I had sold my business, he transferred the money through PayPal and PayPal was like, why are you getting so much money through here? Let me slap on this reserve. And even though it's been, you know, six months where there's no way, it could be refunded or charged back now because it's been so long. And then they even said, had me send in all this paperwork to verify and say like, did you transfer the domain? You know, you know, give us a receipt of that. And I, and mm. so I sent everything over, but PayPal now just, just wants to hold money for everything. I mean, regardless of yeah. what I'm selling on uh, or what money I'm collecting through PayPal, they're just holding on to it. The only good news for me and the reason why it doesn't affect me that much is because my expenses are so low that it just, just doesn't really matter that much. Um, so it's almost kind of like, I don't want to say like a safe place for me to keep my money, but it's another, it's another like zero interest savings account that I have right now is my PayPal reserve fund. So, if, you know, crap is the fan. I can, you know, I know that in a few months they'll, they'll give that back to me. You know, I made a post on Facebook last night when I was on the phone with PayPal and I just asked, basically pulled my friends on which is the worst company to call your bank, your cellular provider, PayPal, and everybody said PayPal. And it's amazing. It's amazing that there's someone in charge of PayPal's customer service that actually goes into work each day and is somehow proud of what he's doing. I mean, it is, it's just totally inexcusable, but it's the difference in, in eBay running a business and, and Elon Musk. And I'm sure, you know, I'm sure in time we'll see a new competitor, um, pop up and and hopefully take over. Have you heard of Vimo? V-E-N-M-O? Am I pronouncing that right? No, I, I haven't seen them. So I think that's a really popular one in the US. Um, but, you know, speaking at pay, uh, about PayPal, I always had a kind of, I don't know if you ever thought about this, but 
when Elon Musk founded whatever became PayPal, I don't think he actually founded PayPal. He founded another one that merged and then they became PayPal. Uh, his original vision was to create some type of, of cryptocurrency to create um, a, a fully digital currency. And they ended up becoming more of like a bank. But I always had a, had a thought that maybe it's Elon Musk that was behind Bitcoin because they've not figured that out yet, right? Oh. It was obviously somebody very, very smart who knew the implications potentially. And I don't think anyone was in a better place to have quantified that type of stuff than Elon when he built this company that at least initially seemed to have the vision of, of creating that and then and then kind of pivoted in something else. Wow. That would be big. So can you imagine? Elon Musk, Tesla, Solar City, SpaceX, Bitcoin. Yeah. <laughs> and, th- and, throw, and throw PayPal in there and, and a couple of other ones. I, I can I can see that happening. I can still, definitely see still, that happening. Still the biggest boss out there for sure. Yeah, big shout to to Elon. Thank you for for all your work. We appreciate you. Um, looking forward to having ha- looking forward to having you on the podcast soon as well. Oh, <laughs> if we can <laughs> we'll get, get him, him on, if we can get him on, then that would that would make my make my day. I'm sure right, for everyone. All right, so it's uh, been another great episode. Uh, so. Thank you guys for listening as well as leaving all your great five-star reviews of the podcast. Uh, if you guys like Chris Dunn stuff, you can check him out. Uh, his What was the site again? Well, Chris Dunn.com is his main one. And I'd also encourage people to check out Skill Incubator because Chris is a expert in a lot more than cryptocurrencies. Super smart guy. So check out all of his content. I think you'll really like what you have to see and what he teaches and um, and helps people to develop really cool so this week we've had a bunch of new five-star reviews for the podcast thank you guys so much for taking the time to log in to itunes and leave these reviews somebody had mentioned that they thought they can only leave reviews on their phone and it's a bit clunky a bit hard to do and then they realized that on their mac you there is the itunes app and it's very very easy to leave it through the actual app program so if you guys have a mac just open the itunes um actual physical app on your computer uh search for invest like a boss under podcasts click on reviews and you can write one there so who do we have for this week sam i got one and it's i'm probably going to butcher the name but i'll go with it it's ivashku christian and that's from the united states title great podcast five stars and it says listening to real people and learning about how they invest their money makes it a lot easier to pick up some of the concepts it's worth to go through the older episodes since they are full of useful information well worth listen if you're getting started with getting your money to work for you and it's all about getting your money to work for you so thank you invicus christian uh i want to read one from sparty three six seven seven from the US, my favorite investing podcast thus far, five stars. Sam and Johnny do a tremendous job in covering a wide variety of strategies and making it very understandable for those who want to learn more than the typical approaches to investing. Would highly recommend. So thank you guys both. If you guys want to leave a review for us, please go to the iTunes app, either on your phone or on your computer and leave one there. It'd be amazing if you could do that. We really, really appreciate that. Uh, and uh, I want to give a shout out to this month's winner of the $25 Amazon gift card uh, that we announced last week. It is Peter Mack from the UK. Thank you, Peter. Keep an eye out in your email box. You'll be, you should be getting your gift card actually 
uh, by the time you listen to this. So check that out. And if you guys haven't joined the Boss Lounge yet, that is where you can ask questions and get answers from not only a lot of the guests that we've had on, but also uh, the, the listeners. So you guys are the reason why this podcast is so successful. And the Boss Lounge on Facebook is the place where you guys can interact with each other. So guys, look forward to another episode with Mr. Harry Dent. That'll be episode 39 coming to you next week. See you guys. Thanks for listening to the Best Like a Boss podcast. Join our mailing list at investlikeaboss.com to get exclusive access to our insider investment portfolios and our private members forum. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends and leave us a review in the iTunes store. It helps more than you know. See you guys next week.